Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Extra Innings Baseball Podcast. Today is Wednesday, December 26th. My name is Ryan Vance. And my name is Mark Stubinger. We hope you and your family had a great Christmas. So we're going to get back into baseball as we look to the new year, and we'll start hearing stories about spring training and get more free agents signing. It's been a while since we recorded, so this podcast is going to pretty much just be entirely going through the transactions that have gone or that have occurred the last month or so. So let's go ahead and jump into it because we have a lot to get through. The first one we're going to go through in pretty much chronological order. So these are going to sound pretty old to you, but we don't want to just brush over them. We want to give you our takes on how these impact the teams and players and such. So anyway, starting off, the Mets acquired Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz from the Mariners in exchange for Jay Bruce, Anthony Swarzak, Gerson Bautista, and prospects Jared Kelenic and Justin Dunn. They were both uh, first-round draft picks in 2018 and 2016, respectively. The Mariners are also sending $20 million to help offset the $120 million owed to Cano through 2023. So, this is one of the biggest trades of the offseason so far. It probably will be um, for the rest of the offseason. What are your initial thoughts um, on both sides? I think uh, I want to, like, I don't know how to say this. I want to say that the the Mariners are doing a rebuild the way a team should do a rebuild because they are just going in, like, all, all in. They're not yeah. holding back any stops. They're not, like, trying to pretend to be a contender. I mean, I think there are probably some of their fan base who – wrongly thought that their team could contend this year was that you no <laughs> as a loyal mariners fan uh, <laughs> I, I can look past my emotions and see that this team was probably not in a position to contend yeah but they have a ton of like individual valuable pieces and so i think it's good to see them make a move like this um this is going to be one of those things where uh, like our generic statement on trading for prospects yeah like I will say Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz were both great last year. I think they were actually both pretty underrated. I mean, Cano is not – he's a pretty high name value, but I think he actually had a much better season last year than yeah. like he got credit for. And Edwin Diaz also had excellent numbers with a 1.96 ERA and 57 saves. Cano so, was overshadowed by his PED suspension, but true. his numbers are still really good. Yeah, he still generated like what, like 3.2 war or something? Yeah, and Diaz had one of the best seasons in a long time from a closer. Like, I think he had the most saves by anyone in like 10 or 15 years. So I, I think that the Mets really got some massively valuable pieces because both of those guys had really excellent seasons, which might they probably didn't get as much credit for as they deserved coming out of the small market. But I think this is a great pickup for the Mets because these guys played really well. And I will, time will only tell if this pays off for the Mariners, but they're doing the right thing, picking up these prospects and just getting someone who, you know, like I, I think everyone can agree that Jay Bruce has not been up to par lately, but someone to fill the the starts until they have a minor leaguer who's ready to take his spot yeah and he he could be traded again or just paid to leave essentially um the Mariners are going to be quite often mentioned as we go through the rest of this podcast for other veterans they've acquired and then traded before they even played a game for them um but yeah looking at the Mets side of this trade which is what I want to focus on because you kind of hit it on the head with the Mariners they're just going through this rebuild and sending off whatever valuable pieces they currently have I think it's going to be interesting to watch the Mets next year, and we'll get into more of moves they've done um, throughout the podcast, but they've been pretty active, and typically, although they're in New York, they spend like a small market team. They really don't have a huge budget. It's not like they're the Rays or the A's, but they don't act like they are a New York team for sure. So it'll be interesting to see 
what these moves can do to the team. Um, I think they're both really good moves. Diaz is going to get expensive through arbitration just because of the pace he's on. He's mm. 24 um, and just has been phenomenal in the couple of years he's been around. And Cano, like you said, has been really, I think, underrated. Um, obviously, the PED thing, like I said, has overshadowed last year and has really changed the way people talk about him. But, I mean, this guy has been one of the best hitters I'd say one of the best, I don't know, maybe he's not one of the best hitters in the league anymore, but he's still, like, or if I want to talk about like plate skills and guys who just really good hitters, just hitters, that's all I'm talking about, uh, Cano would be up there. He's a really phenomenal, just pure hitter. Um, he, he's still really good defensively, too. So uh, I think it's a good move for the Mets, and it could get ugly, you know, four years from now when they're paying him a lot of money. Um, but... We'll, we'll see how that goes. He's going back in New York, of course. He started there with the Yankees and was there for quite a while. Um, and he flourished with them. So we'll see how he does back there again. But I, I think it's a good trade, um, probably from both perspectives, really. Yep, they're both doing the right thing to make themselves winners, either, either this year or in years to come. Yeah. Next, we have uh, another trade involving the Mariners. That would be the Phillies acquired Gene Segura, Juan Nicasio, and James Pazos. I think that's how you say his last name mm-hmm. from the Mariners for Carlos Santana and JP Crawford. So looking at the Mariners again real quick, Carlos Santana, they just traded away. So we, we'll say that again and in, in the, uh, we'll see his name again in a little bit. Um, JP Crawford for them is going to be interesting to watch him develop. I'm guessing they're hoping he's the shortstop of the future. Um, he was a huge name prospect for the Phillies, but really in a limited amount of MLB time, hasn't been great. He's played um, in a total of 72 games over 2017 and 2018 with 225 plate appearances and hitting 214, 333, 358. Um, so he hasn't really delivered on the prospect hype, but uh, you know sometimes it takes guys a while to come around and really realize that potential. That happens quite a bit. Um, and he's certainly going to have the opportunities there in Philadelphia, or sorry, in Seattle Yeah, with that roster now. So um, he'll be someone to watch develop there. I don't really know what I personally think of his chances to get better. I, I don't know him well enough as a player, but um, definitely someone to keep your eye on if you are a Mar- Mariners fan. Um, looking at the Phillies' return, biggest thing, Ryan, of course, is the Mariners shipped off your favorite player, Gene Segura. Yeah, I mean, well, I might have got so go so far as to say he's my favorite player, but he's definitely one that I really enjoy playing. And sad to see him go from my you know second favorite team in baseball. Um, I'm most interested. So the Carlos Santana thing didn't make any sense at first until you realize. I was like, why are they trying for this like sure. guy who's like a part of a like he's ready to play in the majors today? But now it makes a little more sense. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, I don't know how much the uh, Mariners ended up getting out of this because they definitely gave up a lot of big pieces, but I'm not, I'm not sure about Juan Nicasio. And I know last year I was really hyped up about him and I was really glad the Mariners got him sure. and he, he wasn't great. And you know, if you kind of look at his track record, he's been a little bit all over the place. I was really pumped to have him in 2017 with the Cardinals. It was like definitely his best season. I'm not entirely sure he can continue to produce at that because his career track record is a little less promising like i guess i for some reason thought he was a little better than his 4.64 career era and definitely have to take into account that he spent his first four seasons in colorado but like 
I wonder if he's like a little overhyped or something because I actually thought he was a lot better and probably skewed because of his amazing 2017 season that I got to watch him play. Um, but he's not that great. And so I, I don't blame the Mariners for shipping him off. And I'm actually not convinced he's that good. Um, Pazos, this guy, he seems like he's got potential. I didn't know a lot about him either, but again, it's just more of the same. The Mariners shipping off pieces, though their team's value. So we'll have to see how this one pans out. It doesn't seem the Gene Segura is definitely the biggest name here, obviously. Sure. Um, and then some other things that teams are just trying to have pan out. So I don't, I don't know what else to say. Um, so for relief pitchers, just a blanket statement of all positions and all players, they're the most volatile year to year for sure. Yeah. Obviously like you're talking the line guys, Craig Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen and guys like that, they'll falter more than like stars at other spots, but they're pretty consistent. But guys like Pazos and Nicasio kind of hit or miss um, year to year. I will say about Nicasio, um, six ERA last year, which obviously you don't like, but two ninety nine FIP, he had a, 11.36 strikeout per nine rate to a 1.07 walk per nine rate. Um, that's a really solid number. You like that a lot. Um, but he, he had a 402 BABIP against him. Like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of that's just unluckiness. Sure. Um, his left on base percentage was 58, which is like almost 20 points below. It was over 20 points below what it was in 2017. Um, so I think part of that's luck. Also, as a reliever for his career, his numbers were skewed heavily by being a starter when he wasn't very good. As 3.83 ERA as a reliever. So anyway, I don't want to get into a Juan Acasio debate. Okay. No, anyway, that, that clears some things up. Is he like an all-star? No, but I think he's. I think I would still be excited if I was a Phillies fan about the prospects of him in the bullpen. Um, Pazos, like you said, is 2.88 ERA. Phipps around four for the career. So maybe a little bit less excited about that, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Luffy guy um, and the pen yeah, is pretty it. valuable. Um, but looking at Segura, that's the big the big one in this trade, of course, like you mentioned. And I think this is a huge thing for the Phillies. I think one, it signals the one. They're not going to get Machado, I don't think. Yeah. And if they are, he's going to have to be playing third base, um, which he doesn't want to do, reportedly. Um, but Segura has been really good the last, what, three years uh, WRC pluses of 111, 113, 126. He's hitting right around 300 with like a 350-ish OBP every year, um, hitting 10 to 20 home runs and stealing 20-plus bases. Like this guy is all-around good player, plays good defense, and that's a position that the Phillies really struggled with last year was shortstop, yeah. so I think this is a big deal for them. Um, the big deal for the Mariners is getting rid of his contract because he's going to make like – I'm sorry, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure it's like $18 million a year for Yeah, five years, next 70 five million. Years. Yeah, so when you're rebuilding, you don't really want to pay that to somebody. Save the money up. So Makes sense. I think I think this is another... Honestly, from the, the Mariners' perspective, I don't like this as much. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, J.P. Crawford, to me, is not enough for Segura, but if maybe... Obviously, the only people who know the market value of these guys are the GMs, and maybe people really didn't want that that uh, contract value. I don't know, but I was, I'm surprised that somebody else would not have offered more to get Gene Segura. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree. I mean, I mean the Carl, we'll talk about the Carlos Santana thing ended up translating into a little more value, I guess. So we could, we'll talk about that in a bit, but like, yeah, it seems like if I'm a Phillies fan, I'm loving this deal right now. Like I'm so glad we didn't take Machado and I'm actually really excited to have Gene Segura playing shortstop. So, yep. I I think uh, if I have to say I, I would say that the the Phillies won on this deal, but 
Time will only tell. Yeah, for a position that so traditionally lacks good offensive production, like shortstop, I'm surprised there weren't a lot more teams interested in that. Anyway, moving on to our next deal. This will be a big one for Ryan. The Cardinals and Diamondbacks agreed to a deal, sending Paul Goldschmidt to St. Louis and Luke Weaver, Carson Kelly, Andy Young, and a competitive balance round B selection in next year's draft to Arizona. So, of course, the headline in here is Goldschmidt to St. Louis. So, Ryan, give me your thoughts on this. Well, this is very exciting, and it's probably an understatement because the Cardinals put themselves in a position, and I've thought a lot about this deal. So, here's here's my, like, Pre, my very heavily processed thoughts about this. Uh, Cardinals were able to give decently significant value to the Arizona Diamondbacks in a way that the Cardinals were not hurt whatsoever. Like it was redundancy inside the organization. I would say the back end of that, like the competitive balance round B, that's probably not ever going to turn into anything. Sure. Yeah, Andy Young has potential to maybe someday become a average player. Like that would be the, the the best you could hope for him, and then like Luke Weaver and and Carson Kelly are names that people might have heard of around the league. Luke Weaver has kind of been up and down. I actually do see him getting his act together and becoming pretty solid. Last year he was horrible, but I think that was kind of an exception. I think there's still hope that he will be pretty good. And Carson Kelly is one of the uh, exciting young catching prospects for both being pretty good with the bat and pretty good defensively. Yeah. And unfortunately, he's just parked behind a catcher who plays 158 games a year, and his offense has sure. not declined but possibly enhanced over the last few seasons. And Cardinals have – Redundancy in starting pitching and redundancy in the catching slot in the minors. Um, so didn't really hurt the Cardinals to do this. Obviously, Paul Goldschmidt is going to be a rental. He's only here for a year. But as any Cardinal fan would tell you, we're going to be working hard to get a deal made out with Paul Goldschmidt. And I would pay him almost anything to keep him because I really like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree very much with what you said about how they traded significant pieces without really hurting the team. Um, I know a guy who's a big Cardinal fan and the way he described this to me was the Cardinals took a bunch of mid they had the, potentially and maybe you can disagree with this because you know the team better than I do and I kind of have the same view as an outsider who's not a Cardinal fan but they took they have a lot of middling talent on that team a lot of like really they're they're good major league players but they're not great yeah and they took that and turned it into like one of the best players in the league essentially sure. Yeah, so I would took agree. a surplus of middle talent and yep. got someone great. So, Potential for really high ceiling. Yeah, but, absolutely. But Luke not Weaver, likely. Yeah, Luke Weaver is really good in 2017, struggled last year. Carson Kelly, I mean, he's had such little – I don't even want to look at his MLB stats because he's – over three years he's had 131 plate appearances. So, like, mm-hmm. you can't get consistent. No. Consistency no one's going to perform in a in a predictable way with that little bit of – yeah. Yeah, um, but AAA numbers are really nice. So if, if those two develop and perform well, that could be huge for the Diamondbacks. Um, but looking at Goldschmidt, I mean, the Cardinals got one of the best what, 10 players, top maybe five yeah. players in the league. Um, guys had a WRC plus of 142 – sorry, 133 or higher in each of the last six seasons. Um He's put it up five war or more all those seasons except one. Um, I mean, just one of the best pure hitters in the league, someone who's going to have an OBP around 400 and hit you 30-plus home runs. And steal a handful of bases, too. Yeah, he's quick, and he plays good defense. Um, so, I mean, he's I, – I, everybody knows Paul Goldschmidt's phenomenal. So, yep. um, yeah, this is a it, – it's rare that you see one of the best players in the league traded. So, um, we'll see how this impacts the – 
power in the National League, but it definitely makes there's some moves this offseason that make the NL Central a lot more interesting. Yeah, for sure. And it, if not making it the best division in baseball. Yeah, and there, there's a lot to talk about on how this move helps the Cardinals. Uh, obviously, it goes without saying when you add a player of this caliber, he would improve any team in baseball. Absolutely. Um, but looking at the potential of having like six gold glove candidates in the whole defensive rotation for the Cardinals from a position that the Cardinals actually really struggled in defensively, now being a gold glove candidate, there's all kinds of stuff to get excited about. I won't bore you with those details, but I'm stoked. It should be. Next, the Red Sox are bringing back righty Nathan Eovaldi on a four-year, $68 million contract. It's actually a really interesting one because Eovaldi's kind of been all over the place uh, wrestled with uh, team-wise. He's, he's bounced around a little bit and struggled with injury. But since the injury, he's actually looked pretty decent. He's kind of returned to form and pitched his best baseball ever, um, at least this last year with Boston for sure. So uh, I think I'm pretty excited for this this move. I think it's a pretty safe acquisition. Um, I like Nathan Eovaldi. I think he flies under the radar. He's always played on a large market team with the exception of his time in Tampa Bay. And I think his numbers look, uh, I think he's better than maybe his numbers look. I'll say that. Yeah. This is going to be one to watch. This is one who I was really interested in to see like what value he's going to get this off season. Just because like you said, the track record isn't there. Um, not of him being not good, but just the injuries. Um, and anytime you see someone work so intensely in the postseason like he did in the World Series and the ALCS when he pitches so much, there's always a worry the next year about how he's going to not only perform but stay healthy. Um, so there's definitely someone to watch. But, I mean, yeah, if you're the Red Sox, I think it's a smart move to bring him back. I would be worried about the time frame of this contract, though. Um, four years, I don't know. I just – I worry about the health. So – um, I would have been way more interested if this is a two-year deal for the Red Sox. Sure, I think um, I agree. But I don't think a two-year deal would have sealed the deal for him. So, yep. and this guy is only 28, so it's probably not like he might never play baseball again, type of thing. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, you you may you. I would say be happy if you get three of his four years of pl- of service time. Yeah, and the question is how many innings he's going to pitch because he missed he pit sorry he missed all of I can't talk he missed all of 2017 he had Tommy John came back last year through 111 innings the year before 2016 last time he played was 124 innings he's only thrown a hun- over 154 innings one time in his career and they're going to peg him as a starter in that rotation so it, are I, I don't know I just I can't bank on that on him making 25 plus starts. That just doesn't – he's done that twice. So, I don't know. I just – I worry about that. So, I don't know if I love this deal. I think it's really interesting. I think it could be huge. Um, it's got potential upside. It does. Sure. It has lots of potential upside, but there's also a very low floor for how bad this could go. Luckily, it's not like hundreds of millions of dollars, but $68 million is not th- nothing to scoff yeah, at. Not petty cash for sure. All right, moving on to our next deal. Uh, second baseman Jonathan Scope signed a one-year $7.5 million deal with the Minnesota Twins. This is one of the more minor ones we'll mention today. Um, but Scope, former All-Star, I was surprised he didn't have a more of a market. Um, hit 233, 416 last year, 21 homers, 61 RBIs. Um, one year removed from being an All-Star where he hit uh, 293, 338, 503 with 32 homers and 105 RBIs. So I thought people might be willing to give him more than this i was surprised it was a one-year deal for how low it was a good deal for the twins though getting a veteran player who has a pretty solid track record and they have no second baseman without brian dozier so 
I don't know. I like it. Yeah, it's definitely a move they needed to make. They had to find somebody, and it seems like they got like low commitment, low dollar with a potentially pretty good player. Maybe I mean what we saw of Scope two years ago is probably a lot better than what we saw from him last year. He really didn't do very well when he was traded to Milwaukee. Um, he had like he had very low offensive production, and if I recall, didn't he have like almost all of his off like he had the best game of his life against the Cubs in in some high leverage situation. I'm mean, thinking of somebody else. Was it like that play-in game or something? He had like that was uh, Orlando Arcia. Oh, that's right. He has yeah, four yeah. And four. Okay, yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, so I tried to block that, to block that for my mind. Oh yeah, so I, I me made you recall, recall those difficult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, whoops, my bad. Maybe. Um, so yeah, low commitment. Like I think this is a great contract because he's got a potential to like resurge to what he did in 2017 and about like 290 something, 293. Uh, that's not out of the question. And if you can pay a short or a middle infielder seven million dollars and he does that, I think you, there's there's very low risk here. I think this is a great contract. Yep. And I think good job, Twins. Yeah, absolutely. Next is one of our highest dollar signings so far. The Nationals signed Patrick Corbin to a six-year, one hundred and forty million dollar backloaded contract. So, looks like the Nationals are all in on Patrick Corbin. What do you yeah. think, Mark? Yeah, he's the uh, number one available starter this uh off season for sure um i'm gonna i'm gonna say i don't like this deal six years 140 million dollars mm-hmm. that's a lot of money to yep. give someone who has one really really good season under their belt um now he is 29 so he's not in his 30s yet so he's not that old but you just look at the numbers 3.15 ERA last year. The year before, 4.03. The year before, 5.15. Um, it, I don't know. It, if if you like this contract, you have to be a big believer in the ratio improvements he showed last year. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get a strikeout percentage, well, I'm just gonna read them from 20, 2016, 18.7, 2017, 21.6, 2018, 30.8. His walk percentage dropped down to 6%. Um, his strikeout to walk rate almost doubled. Um, it was 9.3 in 2016, 14.2 in 2017, 24.8 last year. So if you believe that, if you believe that he can sustain that strikeout to walk rate and then this is a great deal because he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, if that's the case. And he had a 2.47 fifth last year. Um, I just don't know if I buy that. And, Maybe maybe it is. Maybe the Nationals saw something change in his delivery or he developed a new pitch. It's some in-depth thing that I don't know about. But I just don't like giving someone with one really good year that much money unless you know for a fact that that's going to keep going. Yeah, this is a really interesting. They are taking a pretty high risk here, I'd say. that I can definitely – see getting getting excited about the levels of improvement you've seen this guy have over the last three years um i would say his 2015 season was quite good but like definitely a a margin like a big bump in improvement the last couple years which doesn't seem uh consistent by any means so like one thing patrick corbin has not been is consistent from year to year it's like over one era improvements almost every season of his career with like with one exception so Definitely not a like reliable guy that like just you, you know what you're gonna expect. Um, I don't. I, I mean, I don't hate the deal, but 
I definitely think Patrick Corbin has picked, excuse me, the best year of his career to have his best year of his career. Like right at the end of his free agency, bumped those numbers up. Nobody would be interested in this guy if he had fallen back to a 5.0 ERA at the end year of his contract. So um, this is really interesting. I definitely want to keep my eye on him because he's still in that early, you know, he's still in the like his 20s where you could see this level of improvement. But a guy who's just this volatile doesn't spell like the next Clayton Kershaw or something where he's going to put up consistency because that's just not been in his nature. So I think if you're a Nationals fan and you're okay with the randomness, like the un- unpredictability of Patrick Corbin, this might be, you might be okay with this, but I wouldn't expect consistent 3.0 ERA from this guy for the next six years because that's he's just never done that. Yeah, um, I will say before we move on here, um, if you're into pitch values on fan graphs, um, I can't tell you the math behind it, but it essentially scores a pitch on how valuable it is with like zero being average. Um, he bumped his fastball up last year. From nineteen negative nineteen point three, which is awful, to six and a half, his slider went from twelve point six to twenty seven, um, and he started throwing his slider more, and he his swinging strike rate went from eleven percent to fifteen point six percent, and his outside the strike zone swing percentage went from thirty one point eight to thirty eight, so very good peripheral increases there, um, so I don't want to say that that like seals the deal, makes me like like this contract, but. That would be a little bit more encouraging. It just is this something he can keep doing. Like, what was what what made that happen? Like, is it a different grip on the slider? Is it the his arm slots different? It's just if it's sustainable, that's great. But it's still risky here. So, and I wonder how much of this is due to a lack of great free agent starters. This yeah, year he too. probably stood a lot to gain from that. Yeah, because I think and this sounds maybe it sounds stupid after the year he had, but you think last year he made this is a bigger contract than you. Or not, sorry, not bigger contract than you, Darvish. But like the annual value of this isn't that different than you, Darvish. And I mean, you, Darvish had like five, six years of being great. So I don't know. Anyway. Yep, risky. Yeah, moving on. Uh, here's one we don't need to spend a ton of time on, but I wanted to mention this: the White Sox acquired Ivan Nova from the Pirates in exchange for pitching prospect Yordi Rosario and a five hundred thousand dollar international spending money. Um, Nova, pretty average starter, um, but the White Sox quietly making um, some improvements to their big league team. Yeah, this is interesting. I don't. Are are, are the White Sox ready to win the AL Central? Um, no, that's what I think. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little confused by this. I guess. I think the White Sox are about. A year or two away. If if the prospects develop the way that they think they will, um, it wouldn't shock me if they're closer than you'd think to 500 this year. I mean, the, so their rotation has been, like, the worst in the league or pretty close to it. Yeah. Like, throwing an extra arm in there who's okay, I guess, does make that rotation a little... It probably improves it more than you might expect. He slotted in at their two reliever, or sorry, their two starter behind Rodon, and then they've got like Renaldo Lopez, Lucas Giolito, and Manny Benuelo. Excuse me, Ben Benuelos. Man, that's a hard word to say. Um, I don't even. I'm, I'm gonna let you handle that one. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> like I do think that picking up a an arm might have been a good decision for them. 
because their rotation's just been so bad. And it might be nice to have – I mean, he'll be 32 years old, like the veteran of the staff who can kind of help these young guys along. Maybe that makes a little more sense. Could also – Michael Kopech, they're like huge pitching prospect who had Tommy John surgery last year. After he pitched like twice in the majors, this could be – a stopgap for one year until sure. he comes back next year. That makes twenty twenty. So, it, I don't know. It's not a huge deal, but the White Sox making some uh, interesting moves anyway this offseason. Yeah, not one I expected for sure. Yeah. Next, the Royals signed Billy Hamilton to a one-year four point two five million dollar contract with a seven point five million dollar mutual option for twenty twenty. And if I, if you told me that this was going to be his new contract six years ago, I would have been like, "You're crazy." Yeah, that's a bargain. I mean, <laughs> he hasn't been good, but man, four point two five million—that's cheap. It is. I think this is a good move for everybody because yeah, the Royals are awful. He fits right in there. He can't hit. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's the Royals thing right now. Is they? <laughs> I mean, I know that's not what they're trying to do, but they have people who can't hit well, but are fast and can field. So that <laughs> it fits pretty well. They're gonna have a really good defensive outfield next year. I will say that. Um, but it's a good move because. He's only uh, 28. He's stolen. I mean, everyone knows he's a great stolen base guy. Last year, only 34 steals, which is a lot lower than we're used to from him. But this could be a great year for him to get back on track. Um, a one-year contract that would allow him to then re-enter free agency um, if he wants to next offseason. Um, so I think this is really low risk. Yeah. It's not Chance something to we need to overanalyze. But, yeah, it's more to like prove it. Like, hey, I can – hit 260 and I can steal 60 bases a year, give me a bigger deal. Yeah. And I'm not saying the Kansas City atmosphere is a great one, but a change of scenery from Cincinnati is honestly probably a good thing for him at this point. Yeah. Yeah. He just, this guy who was supposed to be just otherworldly with his ability just didn't pan out. So not there anyway. So maybe getting out of there will um, spark something in him. All right, moving on. Speaking of Cincinnati, Tanner Rourke was traded to the Reds with reliever Tanner Rainey heading back to the Nationals in the swap. I don't know anything about Tanner Rainey, so <laughs> I'm going to just talk about Tanner Rourke, the more important part of this deal. The Reds also making some offseason moves here, um, solidifying a pretty awful rotation. But Rourke, uh, he's pitched six years in D.C., has a career 3.590 ERA. Last year, 4.34 with a 4.27 FIP, um, really about league average. Like, if I think of, like, really average pitcher, Tanner Rourke is pretty high on that list for me. Yep, pretty reliable. I mean, it's the type of move that I think the Reds uh, needed to make. Something to, like, this is much like the White Sox one. It's like, you can throw an average pitcher into this rotation or into this bullpen and it's going to help that team more than average because they've just struggled so much yeah so i think the the reds might stand a little more to gain here than it looks like just because they need so much help in pitching yeah i would agree with that um it'll be interesting to see that team next year there's another big move yeah we'll, we'll discuss coming up here absolutely but, yeah. but before that we'll take a quick step away from the trades and all the acquisitions 
to let you know how you can connect with our podcast outside of what you're listening to right now. And first would be email, extrainningspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to have um, some like open feedback where you guys can let us know what you think of the podcast. But also, if you have like a specific question you'd like to hear us answer on the podcast, a little segment you'd like for us to do, we uh, you really have an opportunity to help make this podcast be what you want it to be, and that's by emailing us, extrainningspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on social media. On Facebook, we're Extra Innings Baseball. And at Twitter, we're at Extra Innings Pod. That's at Extra Innings P-O-D. You can also leave us a rating. That'd be really helpful for us to help improve this podcast, make it more relevant on whatever podcast app or network you happen to use to listen to podcasts. Uh, just leave us a rating. That not only helps us become better at what we're doing, but also helps other people discover us, and that's something we're all about. So please leave us a rating. Finally, if you're a big supporter of the podcast and uh, you feel like it's a very valuable part of your baseball fandom, you can support us financially at patreon.com slash extra innings. Ryan and I have a lot of big ideas we'd like to do for the podcast, but we do have limited time and resources. So if you want to help contribute to things like a website or a video podcast, um, things like that, there's a lot more detail on the Patreon. And again, patreon.com slash extra innings. If you want to contribute to help us do things like that, you can do that there. One more time, patreon.com slash extra innings. All right, we'll jump right back into all these uh, off-season moves. Andrew McCutcheon reached a three-year, $50 million deal with the Phillies. Man, it seems like ever since he left the Pirates, he's just been, like, all over the place. Yeah, seriously. San Francisco and then New York and now Philadelphia. Um, I like this deal. Uh, I, I think the consensus on Andrew McCutcheon is he had, he had that awful 2016 year where he had 1.1 war, and that kind of sealed the end of his, like, MVP caliber play. Yeah. And I feel like that has shifted the 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 thought about him as like a really below average player now. That's not the case at all. The last two years he's hit um for a one twenty three and one hundred and twenty slash or one hundred and twenty three and one hundred and twenty WRC plus. So producing runs over twenty percent above the league average. Um his numbers look very similar, hitting two seventy nine, three sixty three, four eighty six in twenty seventeen. 255, 368, 424 in 2018, 28 and 20 home runs respectively in those years. The drop in power could definitely be attributed to playing half of the season in uh, San Francisco, which is not a nice ballpark for hitters. Um, Not a great defender anymore. I will say that about the guy. But I think inning-wise, he's still above average, and I feel like people just don't have that view of him anymore. So I don't know what you think, but honestly, I think it's a pretty good deal. I think this is the type of player who definitely has the uh, potential to uh, exceed expectations because, like you said, I think after being really bad for a short while, people kind of just wrote him off. And like, okay, this guy's gone. He's done. He's washed up. And he still has plenty of career ahead of him. I mean, he's 32 years old. I think this is like when players really hit their prime. I could really see him doing okay and like I, I like you said i don't think the mvp reign is ever going to come back to andrew mccutcheon uh, especially because his defense was such a critical part of that yeah um but i still think you can get a lot of value out of this guy it's, it's way too early to write him off and so 50 million for three dollars uh, for three years um 50 million years for three dollars yeah. i think this is this is a Maybe, again, with the Phillies, you're adding a little more than just 
performance too, yeah. because as the veteran role, I think a lot of players would look up to this like former MVP in their Absolutely. outfield. So I think the Phillies have a lot to gain from this deal. Uh, maybe a, like a little bit on the pricey side, but like I said, I think they stand more to gain than just what he can do on the field. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if this was a, we don't want Bryce Harper move. So we're going to get McCutcheon. I guess they could still technically get Harper if they wanted to. Um, they said they're going to spend stupid money this offseason, and they have not done it yet. Um, so it was we'll just see. A, it was a decoy to I, get other people to pay too much. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to get Corbin. Didn't work. Now they're in on Machado. And Harper, of course, haven't signed yet, so we'll see what happens there. But, uh, yeah, I think you hit he hit it right on the head with uh, the veteran leadership there. He was the face of the Pirates franchise for yeah. years. He was the leader of that team. When that franchise was rejuvenated and made some runs in the playoffs um, for the first time in like 20 plus years. So, absolutely is comfortable in the spotlight and being that vocal leader on a team. I think it's a really big deal for the Phillies outside of just his above average performance. So, I like this a lot. Uh, moving on to our next contract, or sorry, this is actually trade. This is a first of our three-team trades. These get a little wonky here. The Mariners, Indians, and Rays uh, went in on this three-team deal. The Mariners received Edwin Encarnacion from the Indians. The Indians get Carlos Santana back from Seattle and Jake Bauer from the Rays. The Rays picked up Yandy Diaz and righty prospect Cole Solcer from the Indians. So lots of moving pieces here. Um, the big ones to focus on, Edwin Encarnacion to uh, Seattle. Um, Carlos Santana from Seattle to Cleveland. And then Jake Bauer, I think, is also one to look at from the Rays. So here's the biggest question. Do you think Edwin Encarnacion will play a game as a Mariner, or will he get traded again? Uh, I think the – so if you just think about this straight up from the Mariners' perspective, they gave Carlos Santana, they gained Edwin Encarnacion. That sounds like a heck of an upgrade. Like – I tend to lean more in the – I know Carlos Santana had a bad season last year, and Edwin Encarnacion had maybe like a below-average season too, depending on how you look at it. But, like, man, I, I see Edwin Encarnacion as the better player here. So, especially just his ability to mash home runs, I feel like there's a good landing spot for Edwin Encarnacion that is not Seattle. I don't understand why they would keep him. I feel like, yeah, I feel like he'll be traded. Um, I think he is still owed a decent amount of money. And I don't think the Mariners will want to pay it because, I mean, it's very visible decline the last few years uh-huh. in his bat. Still, hitting, he hit 32 home runs last year, but the walks are down, the strikeouts are up. It's, it's typical signs of someone who's in their mid to late 30s. That's just what happens. Um, so I don't know where they'll move him, but I would not expect him to play in Seattle, actually. Um, maybe I'll be wrong, and maybe they'll want him to be some veteran leader on a team full of young guys. Uh, but I would be surprised. Carlos Santana, I think going back to the Indians, I mean, of course, where he spent almost all of his career, the, the first, what, nine years, 2010 to 2017, eight years. He had one season outside of Cleveland, and now he's back. Um, so I think Cleveland gets a bat they're familiar with coming off a down year. Uh, I actually like Carlos Santana. He's never going to be that like huge bat in the lineup, but one of the best eyes in the league, someone who – pretty regularly has a walk rate almost identical to his strikeout rate, which is rare to find in today's game. So I like that. Um, Jake Bowers going to Cleveland too is something to watch. Um, not a huge prospect, but 96 games. He, d- he did struggle uh, 96 games last year for the Rays at the MLB level, but he's had a good track record in the minor leagues. 
hit 279, 357, 426 in AAA before being called up last year. So um, could be somewhere to watch develop there in Cleveland as they're trying to get that payroll under control. They don't want to spend a lot of money. So, but. Yep. We'll have to see. Interesting to see the Rays be the, I don't know, the rebuilding team in this scenario when uh, you could, well, the Mariners are clearly rebuilding, but definitely picked up a win now type of player. Uh, interesting moves for sure all the way around. Are they really rebuilding though in Tampa Bay? Or are they just getting a bunch of like really average players who are going to like win 85 games next year? Cause that's what always happens. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I, what I mean when I say the Rays rebuilding, like, <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're not making any big moves, which is of course, that's no surprise. But I don't know. I feel like if I would have, if you had just told me that these three teams were involved in this trade, I would have seen the Rays getting one of those two players. Yeah, I could, it would make more sense, especially because they got rid of CJ Crone, which didn't make any sense. He had like thirty home runs last year. I could have seen. I wouldn't have been surprised if they wanted like Encarnacion or Santana. Yeah, yeah, that would have made sense. Exactly. That's what I was getting at. Sure. <laughs> All right, this is an interesting one. The Mets bring reliever Yuris Familia back to New York on a three-year, $30 million contract. Yeah, he of course, he was traded at the deadline from the Mets to the A's last year, and the Mets liked him enough to just bring him back. Um, good reason, too. He's had a really good track record, track record there, 2.73 ERA for his career, which, again, most of it was spent in New York. Had a 2.88 ERA there last year. Um, I mean, he's not like any elite closer but he's been above average for almost his entire career there in that ninth inning role yeah yeah i mean there were there were days like 2015 2016 that yeah. he was like the feared closer oh, he was like, he had such a long streak of not blowing saves yeah that was insane and hasn't been maybe quite up to that caliber lately but i think getting his feet set back in new york is probably a good thing his numbers weren't as good in oakland as they were in new york last year um, so I think that New York is just a really good place for him. And actually, if you look at from the Mets, Mets perspective, they're getting him for a lot less than they would have had to get him for when they were talking about this contract last year. Oh, yeah. So I think this actually worked out really well for the Mets to say, all right, you want this huge contract? We'll see ya. And then bring him back for a lot more reasonable contract. This actually worked out. I mean, the Mets look like geniuses here. Um, That's a phrase that is almost never uttered. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> For once. <laughs> Enjoy it while it lasts. They made some good moves this offseason. Yeah, I got to say. I mean, for a team that I kind of wrote off, like they're they're doing some stuff to get back into contention. I think Noah Syndergaard is probably a pretty happy guy right the now. The East is going to be interesting next year with the Mets, the Phillies who have made some big moves. The Braves, the Braves of course, just, are yeah. already in the playoffs, and the Nationals should be better. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll see how it plays out. But, yeah, I like this move a lot. All right, moving on. The White Sox acquired Yonder Alonso from the Indians for outfield prospect Alex Call. After the Indians get Santana, they don't really need Alonso anymore, so he gets shipped off. The White Sox, of course, are interested in him um, for a couple of reasons. He's actually produced pretty well. Um, it, he had a kind of a weird career. He spent a lot of time in uh, San Diego and – was never good. He hit like six home runs a year there, essentially, for the first six years of his career. And then moves to the A's in 2016. Or, uh, and then in 2017, he breaks out in Oakland, hit 28 home runs, and then goes to Cleveland, hits 23 home runs. So this guy's just really interesting to me because yeah. of, like he had no power. Then all of a sudden, he's like, I'm going to hit for power now, guys. It's fine. 
I got this. And he did it without the expensive batting average. Or, you yeah, know. like his batting average didn't get worse. Like he hit pretty much his career average, but just decided he's going to hit like 20 more home runs every year. Um, but here's the most interesting part of this deal in my perspective. Yonder Alonso is the brother-in-law of Manny Machado. Oh, conspiracy theory. He is theories. married to Manny Machado's sister, and the White Sox are very in on Manny Machado. So, huh? Interesting. Look out, look out right there. Could be, could be a big part of the Manny Machado sweepstakes. Which yeah, the, probably the be tea leaves are somehow sometime in the next week or so. Probably over. So, interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Interesting. That that can be part of our fun and interesting facts because I did not know that. Next. J.A. Happ and the Yankees agreed to a two-year, $34 million deal. What do you think, Mark? Um, this is pretty good for them. Um, they're definitely – I think they pretty much were guaranteed that Corbin was going to sign with them. Uh-huh. And so this is kind of consolation prize because that that starting rotation was pretty rough last year. Yeah. Um, they got Paxton, of course, through that big trade from the Mariners and I think they, they were pretty much all in on Corbin and they didn't get him surprisingly. Most people thought he was going to go there. Um, so they get Hap instead. And I think it's not, I don't want to say it's, he's not as good as Corbin. Yeah. But Hap is a underrated pitcher last year. He got traded to New York from the blue Jays at the deadline. And he did really, really well there. Um, and let's see, he started seven, I'm sorry, 11 games there. And he had a 2.69 ERA, a uh, 63.2 innings in those six or 11 starts. So very good numbers from him in New York last year. And he's bounced around a lot throughout his career. Um, but I think, you know, you're going to get somebody who's pitching to like a upper threes ERA. It's going to be a lot better than what they've had there. So, yeah. And we, you know, we talked about how Patrick Corbin has not been, the definition of consistency. I would say J.A. Happ's level of improvement year by year is much more notably like predictable and sustainable and consistent where yeah. like I feel way more confident that he's going to throw in the mid to upper threes, like lower fours this year in ERA than Corbin because we've just seen like a very linear actually progression. Like his, his ERA has gotten slowly better over, you know, from like, Ever since 2011, we've just seen slow increase in this guy. And so I feel very comfortable that he's going to put up decent numbers. I think this is a great signing for New York. And honestly, more predictable results than Corbin. Maybe not as high a ceiling, but more predictable. So there's something to be said for that. Yeah, absolutely. He's a pretty safe bet, and it's not a ton of money. Um, he is in his upper 30s, um, but two years at $34 million, that's, I think, a really good signing for that team. Moving on, another Mets signing. They brought in Wilson Ramos on a two-year, $19 million contract with a $10 million club option for 2021. I like this move a lot, too, from the, Yankee, or the Yankees. From the Mets' uh, perspective, he last year played 111 games and hit 306 through 58, 487. He's struggled a lot with injuries over his career, but the catcher position is so hard to find someone who's going to even hit league average and – they get someone who hits well above league average and is pretty solid defensively. So, I mean, yeah, there's injury risk there, but there's an, I think I think Wilson Ramos is a very underrated player, honestly. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you maybe you could attribute part of that to his time in small markets, like. I, but I don't know. His time in Washington was pretty good too. It always had a you know career two seventy three average, but notably higher of late. And so, 
if you can get that kind of production, I, I think teams would be willing to take a defensive hit for this kind yeah. of offense behind, behind the plate. And he's actually providing pretty good defense. So I agree with you. I think this is a really good deal. I know in Tampa Bay last year, he would DH occasionally. Um, so I don't know if the Mets plan on playing him less. Of course, he was traded from Tampa Bay to Philadelphia at the trade deadline last year. Only played in 33 games for the Phillies. So it wouldn't shock me if his playing time goes down, if maybe he plays four days a week instead of like five or six like a catcher usually does Uh um, just to keep him healthy. But um, it'll be something to watch. But I think this is another really good move by the Mets. Yeah, I got to say it. The the Mets are on a roll here making some smart moves. Yeah. Next, the Astros and free agent outfielder Michael Brantley agreed to a two-year, $32 million contract. And um, right off the cuff, I mean, I, I don't have his stats right in front of me, but I have an idea. So I've, I've toyed with Brantley on my fantasy team for the last couple years, so I pretty much can tell you the ins and outs of the Michael Brantley experience. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's when, hear it. <laughs> when he's healthy, he's awesome, but he's not often healthy. <laughs> that's, the, that's the gist of it. Uh, it seems like he's just, like, been such a disappointment for Cleveland where like not everything can come together for him at the right time, like limited, not fully healthy appearances, like in 2016 where he only played in 11 games and batted 231 are pretty disappointing. And then like he managed to play 90 games in 2017 and bat 299, and then really pulling it together last year with 143 games batting 309. So it seems like the more playing time you can get out of him, the more quality performance you can get out of him. I mean, really 2014 was like a killer year for him. He's, Oh yeah. He's had his, his like moments of glory. It's the MVP caliber season. Exactly. And the question is just that he's not been able to stay healthy. And so uh, if he can, I mean, it seems like this is a really good deal for the Astros because he's easily worth through two year 32 million. If they can just get him in like more than half of those games. Yeah. Because that's what it takes to get him to play well. <laughs> I think it's – this could be one of the biggest signings, I think, of the offseason. Uh-huh. Um, it's low-key, yeah. It is. It is. I think it kind of flew under the radar. I think Brantley is incredibly skilled. Um, but like you said, it's just – is he going to stay healthy? Um, he's coming off a really good year, almost a full season, 143 games. I don't think he was hurt. I think it was just rest for him. Um, and the Astros have the depth to be able to give him that rest if they want to. Um, I'm sure he won't be – I don't know. I think he's going to play a ton, but I don't think he's going to be like 158 games at the end of next year. Um, they'll probably rest him to keep him healthy and make sure he stays on the field for the full season. But when he's yeah, when he's on the field, those numbers are really good. Um, he can steal 10 to 20 bases, hit 15 to 20 home runs, and hit for a high average and nice OBP. Like he's really, I think, underrated player as long as he's healthy. Um, so I I'd be excited if I was an Astros fan. I think plugging him into the lineup. Um, I mean, it's already a really good lineup. Yeah. But that's another really nice bat to add to probably the middle or back of that lineup. Yep. If this guy had stayed healthy, this would be like a six-year, $140 million contract. Absolutely. Because he has put up the production that make him deserve to be in that like upper tier, you know, like top 20 players offensively if he had just stayed healthy. So I'm really excited for this one too. Yeah. It'll be fun to see how that one plays out. Moving on, this is a smaller deal, but big name value, I guess. I think a bigger name value than actual production value anymore. But the Padres signed Ian Kinsler to a two-year, $8 million contract. Kinsler, 36 years old now, and has pretty pretty much fallen off. Um, one of the better hitting second basemen for a lot of his career in the league. Um, the last two years in Detroit and in Boston, 
with a WRC plus is below 100. So producing runs below league average, still a really good defender. So his war is actually still pretty solid above two each of those years. Um, I mean, but he was for a while, one of the best, if not the best second baseman in the league. Yeah. So um, I think the name value right now is higher than what he actually provides, but I think that's a good move for the Padres to get someone like Kinsler. Who's been around the league. He's been in the league for um, 13 years now. And you're going to be able to have him kind of mentor and lead a team full of young guys who are really they're they're the Padres are really hitting that point in a rebuild where they're going to have a lot of young guys at the MLB level, um, and they hopefully should start improving. Um, so I think this is a good signing from them. Yeah, I think this is just a a slot holder. Um, oh, it is. Yeah. Kind of getting to extent. Ian Kinsler gets to keep playing baseball for a couple more seasons. The Padres get to develop their second base prospects for a couple more years. Because even if you look at like who the Padres have in their bench, it's Greg Garcia from the Cardinals, and uh, th- there's not like a they don't have like a really exciting look right now. So I think just having someone who can hold hold things off for the time being is a good is a good move. And. One last thing I'll say about this one is they have really good middle infield prospects, Luis Urias um, and Fernando Tatis Jr. So it wouldn't shock me if maybe not this year, maybe towards the end of this year, but if he's moved from a starting role to a bench role um, at some point in this deal. Just because they have, they have really high-ranked middle infield prospects. That's good to know. So, yeah, I really like this this move for both Kinsler and the Padres. Yeah. Next, this one has a lot of ramifications for me. Andrew Miller signed a two-year, $25 million deal with the Cardinals. The contract includes a $12 million club option for the 2021 season. And, Mark, I don't know. The Cardinals have a lot of experience with throwing the arms off of relievers, and then they're never what they were anymore. And so part of me is scared that that's what this Andrew Miller deal is, that he's just never going to be what he was again. I, that, and part of it, I, the Cardinals have had a track record of not being able to keep players in the bullpen consistently good. Like, they slowly but surely fall apart and aren't good anymore. I am having trouble getting excited about this deal and believing that he'll bounce back. I don't know if you have stats that would indicate one way or the other, but personally, I'm just not that excited about this deal because I cannot believe that the 2016 Andrew Miller will ever come back. Um, I actually don't have any stats that are going to ease your mind here. Okay. Um, I wrote an article. I write an article for, I, I write for a blog. Anyway, that's just to, that's not, anyway, whatever. I do this. So I wrote an article about how the Cubs could sign him. And I like the prospect, the prospects of him getting back to that level. Um, not because they have any hard evidence of, oh, well, look at these numbers. And they indicate that he wasn't as bad as his stats were last year. I don't have anything like that. It's just, this guy was one of the best relievers in baseball for a couple of years. Um, at least, I mean, 2013 through 2017, really just phenomenal production from him. And then last year was all just hampered by injuries. And, I mean, he had a 4.24 ERA, only through uh, 37 games last year, and through 34 innings of those 37 games, is what I was trying to say. Um, he's 33 years old. He's getting older. Um, I don't know if he's going to be able to bounce back, but I think $12.5 a year for two years it's not cheap for a reliever, but to have either like an average guy, which I think is like worst case scenario for Andrew Miller or one of the best pitchers in the league at the bullpen. Like I think that's worth it. And that's a good, that was kind of my argument from when I, that article I wrote about how I was hoping the Cubs would sign him because I think that's a worthy gamble. Cause worst case, like I said, maybe he's below average, but I don't, I don't have 
I don't view him as someone who's all of a sudden bad. Yeah, gonna put up like a six ERA out of the bullpen. Maybe he will. His velocity's dropped off, not considerably, but he's throwing mid ninety four to ninety five with the fastball a couple of years ago, and now it's at ninety three. Um, but that wasn't his game. It wasn't velocity. It was movement. So, yeah, I don't know. I like it, um, but there is definitely reason to worry, or at least not get overexcited. I guess. Yeah, you can't just sit here and be like. We have one of the best pitchers in the league now. Like, maybe you do, but there's no guarantee. Sure. I will say, I think this pans out better for the Cardinals than the Greg Holland deal last year. Oh, please. I was so excited for that. <laughs> you should have. I was, I was like, oh, that's a great deal. Yeah, every right to think that was going to work. You did, but uh, it didn't work. So I think this, I don't know. I would be excited as, about this if I was a Cardinal fan, um, but there's certainly no guarantee that he'll bounce back to his pre-injury levels. All right, next we're going to look at a, another three-team trade. And this has also very confusing moving pieces, so I'm just going to go through it. And um, there's one big piece, which I'll mention at the start. The A's received Jerkson, Pro, Jerkson Profar from the Rangers. The Rays received Emilio Pagan from the A's, as well as Oakland's competitive balance around A selection in next year's draft. The Rays also got minor league righty Raleigh, Raleigh Racy. I think it's really Lacey, excuse me, from the Rangers. The Rangers received minor league infielder Eli White from the A's and prospects Brock Burke, Kyle Bird, and Yoel Espinal from the Rangers. Texas also gets $750,000 in international spending money from Oakland. Whoa. Yeah, that's a lot of moving pieces. They're pretty much all prospects. Yeah, I've heard of like two of those names. Except Emilio Pagan, who's an average reliever. Yeah. And Jerkson Profar, which is the one we want to talk about. Um, Profar, 25 years old which is weird because he's been around for quite a while. Um, he was a really high-ranking prospect and just couldn't stay healthy. Last year's the first time he played over 90 games at any point in his career. He missed all of 2014 and 2015. So really weird career for him so far. But last year, 146 games at 254, 335, 458, 20 homers, 10 stolen bases, 2.9 fan graphs war. Man, so. Not bad. 20 home runs in 146 games. Yeah. It's not too bad. No, not at all. Hit 70, had 77 RBI. Um, not a great fielder, but average fielder puts up good numbers. He's a very Oakland type player. He can yeah. play like six positions. So, um, this, this is his last year before he'll be a free agent. Okay. So, um, obviously the A's are hoping for a big contract year for him, hoping that he can prove, I mean, I guess he did the kind of last year that he, he is worth a bigger investment because I mean, like he said, he was a huge prospect. Like, Big name prospect who just could not stay healthy. So, um, if he can put up another year like 2018, I think he'd probably be a pretty solid free agent after the 2019 season. Yeah, this is interesting. And then just seeing uh, everything else after him is just a big prospect shuffle. Yeah. Right. So okay. essentially, yeah, that's about that's the one we need to analyze. All right. Next, the A's signed reliever Joaquin Soria to a two-year, fifteen million dollar contract. Now, Soria has been an interesting player this last year he batted three or he had sorry he had an era of 3.12 um generated 0.9 war with 16 saves um kind of interesting like the, so the brewers picked him up right at the end but most of his playing time was with milwaukee or sorry with the, the, white, with the white Sox. that's what i'm trying to say um i don't i don't know how i feel about joaquin so his lifetime 2.88 era wasn't that good in the high leverage milwaukee scenarios though that's true um, he struggled in the playoffs 
so he's he's cheap. I think this is like they got probably a little more pitcher than he costed. Like I think he's better than fifteen million I agree. two dollar two. Man, what is it with <laughs> you? Me? You <laughs> can't get it. <laughs> two, two year fifteen million dollars. That, that's like for a above average bullpen guy. I think that's a bargain. Yeah. Um, the A's will put him back in low le- low leverage, which seems to be where he's excelling. So I think that's a good good situation. I think Soria should probably gotten more money out of this deal, though. He was part of the once dominant Kansas City bullpen during their World Series years. Um, and last year, 23.1 strikeout to walk ratio is the same as he posted in 2014, which is one of those years they were in the World Series. So um, I like this deal. Um, I'm surprised, like you said, I, I think he should have got more. I think he's a pretty solid arm. He's 34, so maybe there's some shine away from that. And his performance in the postseason certainly didn't help anything. But overall, I like this deal. Yeah, it does, just as a sidebar, seems really interesting to me that postseason performance is so indicative of future contracts. You know, like guys that throw out of their – like Daniel Murphy in the postseason and like former pitchers who just like threw amazing in the postseason end up getting these massive contracts. People like will look right over a 4.6 ERA during the regular season if he throws – for a 2.7 in the playoffs. It's yep. pretty funny. It is. All right, moving on to our next deal. Daniel Murphy signed a two-year, $24 million contract with, with the Rockies. That includes a mutual $12 million option for 2021. What do you think about Daniel Murphy in Colorado? This is a great deal. I, why did he sign this? Like, he's going to mash there. Uh, he's he's going to do great. <laughs> like, I think this is an amazing deal. Um, and you, you know a little more about Murphy than I do, but, man, this seems awesome. Like, the Rockies got a steal here. Yeah, you would think that. Um, I I think it's a good good move for them for sure. Um, but what I will say, and I'm gonna find the uh, split here somewhere. Um, he struggled a lot last year versus lefties, um, like a lot. It wasn't. Okay. It was like almost the fact that they wouldn't want to play him against a lefty. Um, hitting like low 200s which is really weird for daniel murphy because he's an average yeah he's the yeah. guy who you expect to hit like 290 to 330 <laughs> somewhere in between that range uh-huh. um and he just didn't do it so um let me see if i can find this but his yeah he was just not not good at all uh, against them last year so I think that's a big part of it is that he probably won't play every single day i don't think they're gonna totally platoon him I bet he'll play against some lefties, but um, I don't know what their infield situations are like, so maybe he will be playing every day against lefties, but it wouldn't shock me if they have some other option. That's going to be a little bit better. Well, because DJ LeMahieu, is he still? No, he got traded, or he signed somewhere else, right? I can't oh, remember. LeMahieu's still a free agent. He hasn't signed anywhere yet. Okay, so he this is filling in that gap then, right? Yeah, okay, here, I finally got this. It took way too long for me to find. So anyway, uh, versus right-handed pitchers last year, he hit – um, 319, 356, 508 with a 5.7% walk rate and a 9.5% strikeout rate. So very good numbers there. First lefties last year, he hit 238, 276, 288 with a 5.7% walk rate. So same walk rate, but a 17.2% strikeout rate. So his strikeout rate almost doubles. His slugging percentage is under 300 against lefties. His OBP is 276 against lefties. Um, it just seems like he's not seeing the ball well against lefties. Um, you want to see a WRC plus his uh, versus righties last year, 130. So he performed 30% better than average against right-handed pitchers in terms of run creation against lefties, 51. So 49% below league average versus lefties. So um, that's wasn't always 
the way he's batted, but getting older, um, that's what I'm going to attribute it to because he's 33 now. Um, he kind of fell off last year and just wasn't wasn't as good. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it. It was just last year. I think it's kind of been a trend. Um, but last year was a very pronounced difference between the two. Okay, that's interesting. And actually, one other interesting thing it shows my ignorance to some of this. Uh, he's going to play first base for the Rockies. Oh. I didn't realize that. They have uh, Garrett Hampson slotted at second base, who I, I don't know much about. He's only 24. Uh, I guess they're excited about he, he was ranked eighth in their prospect system. So I guess they have a lot of expectations for this Garrett Hampson, and Daniel Murphy is just becoming that old guy who plays first now. Is that roster resource? Yes. And that's like, but also, also, uh, MLB trade rumors. Oh, okay. Yep. Cool. Lots of moving pieces. So it wouldn't shock me if he still plays second base at some point. Yeah. But maybe it's nice to have a guy you can at least slot there. I don't know the Rockies roster well enough to give you the, the, uh, info on Garrett Hampson. So yeah, me neither. We let you down. Sorry guys. (laughs) Next, the Dodgers signed Joe Kelly to a three year deal worth $25 million. This one's also interesting to me. Um, Joe Kelly seems like he's had flashes of being amazing and then flashes of being awful. And so part of me, the change of scenery makes me ask which one of those Joe Kellys the Dodgers are going to get. But uh, I think that the gamble of $25 million for three years is not bad. So if you look at his 2018 numbers, 4.39 ERA, you're like, man, that's pretty bad. Uh, with a 3.57 FIP, uh, 2.79 though the year before with a 3.49 FIP, a uh, little bit of all over the place. Never been quite as good as he was in St. Louis, I would say, but just not consistent and kind of volatile, like above average or below average. Not there's there's no like middle ground for him. So I think that things might work out for him in LA. I think that um, a three-year, twenty-five million dollar deal is not overly ambitious for a guy like this. I yeah, think, I think it's pretty safe um weird that he's been transitioned into the bullpen i mean you, you compare this deal to the one that the cardinals got i think i like the cardinals deal better but not bad i guess yeah it's um really 2017 2018 in terms of fip very similar 3.490 or 3.49 fip in 2017 3.57 in 2018 of course about 1.6 difference in era so it's yeah. a big difference there um, his left on base percentage and Babbitt were considerably worse in 2018, which could attribute to it. But anytime you see somebody throwing 99 to 100 out of the bullpen, people want him. So that's the Joe Kelly experience. I see him throwing 99 in the eighth inning. Um, so I was kind of surprised he picked the Dodgers over the Red Sox. The uh, he picked his World Series foe, which is interesting. Hmm. It's like the anti Kevin Durant. Yeah, he's <laughs> <laughs> going to the team that needs his help. <laughs> Unlike the team that just carries him to titles. Ooh, zing. That's just totally Kevin Durant's really whatever. He's a great player. Anyway, <laughs> totally different <laughs> argument. But uh Yeah, so pretty I guess big name to at least I feel like he's a big name in the bull in the relief pitcher market. I was surprised he got less like eight ish million a year. I thought it'd be more than that. Like three year, like thirty to thirty five would have been my estimate, but maybe he's just not worth that. I don't know. Overall, I think good move for the uh, Dodgers. I yeah, think I would like to have him in the Cubs bullpen. Someone who just—it's nice to have somebody who can just throw that fast. Yeah, yeah, because you don't always need a guy who can get out. You just need a guy who can throw really fast and scare the other batters. That's true. <laughs> That's all you need. All right, moving on to our next deal. This is the final trade we'll talk about today. 
Um, and this is a big one. Yes. Speaking of the Dodgers, they traded um, Yasiel Puig, Matt Kemp, Alex Wood, Kyle Farmer, and $7 million to Cincinnati in exchange for Homer Bailey and prospects Josiah Gray and Jeter Downs. So that is one of the biggest trades I've ever seen, at least in terms of how many big league players are involved. Yeah, I gotta agree. And there's, again, Puig, Camp, Alex Wood, all everyday players going to Cincinnati. Um, Kyle Farmer also has played in the big leagues before. He's not like a consistent big leaguer. And then hey, Homer Bailey going back to the Dodgers. So what do you think about this trade from, well, I don't know. I, the Dodgers are essentially going to just drop Homer Bailey, I think, and it's more okay. of a salary dump for them. I see. Um, or with this, they save like $12 million, and they open up spots in the outfield for probably, I'm guessing, a pursuit of Bryce Harper is my assumption of what they'll do. Um, could be wrong. Maybe they won't, or maybe he won't choose them, but I think that's part of what this deal is about. Um, and I don't think they have any interest in Homer Bailey, who's had an ERA with, what, like six – <laughs> or higher six or higher in the last three years yeah he started like somehow 44 games in that time <laughs> period anyway uh <laughs> um looking at what goes to cincinnati i think is the aspect to analyze what do you think about that yeah this is interesting i feel like the dodgers really did the reds a favor here in getting out of getting them out of that bailey contract because yeah. man that is like franchise crippling to have a guy who's getting paid that much for such awful return yeah I think that, yeah, the the Reds are not in a win-now position, but they'd probably take any handful of Dodgers to get Homer Bailey off the payroll. Like, I really think that that's what it's all about. Matt, I, Matt Kemp's are a lot of money still, so they're going to pay a lot of that. Okay. Um, yeah, that's good to know. And I, I think they'll get a lot more value out of Kemp, a oh, uh, yes. guy that they can put in the outfield who actually deserves to be out there and not like Homer Bailey. So, like, I talked to – I have a, a good friend who's a pretty serious Reds fan, and he was saying the highlight of this deal for both teams is getting Homer Bailey off the Reds' books. So I think that's really, like, the talking point for most of this. Going to have a really interesting Reds outfield here. I, I, Puig is just such an electric player. Yeah. It'll be interesting. He'll be playing the Cardinals and Cubs a lot more now. Um He's always fun to watch, and we'll have to see, like... Bat foot more against the Cardinals. Oh, well, he has to hit home runs to do that, Mark. Um, <laughs> but I'm interested to see... I think the big question about Yasiel Puig is how he's managed um, and how his personality is contained. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but just keeping his head in the game seems like it can be a bit of a struggle sometimes. Sure. So I'm curious to see if the Reds can kind of keep him under control. Like, he doesn't seem like he fits into that organization real well the way that it is today like you think of the era of like brandon phillips like they've had some like flashy yeah. players in their time but that doesn't seem like the reds that they have now so I'm, I'm interested to see how they manage him i think that's the other thing for me i like this move a lot from the reds perspective um twigs in his contract year so he'll be a free agent after the season um so i don't i would bet he's not really interested in staying in cincinnati um <laughs> but it should it's a great hitters ballpark it wouldn't shock me if he hits 30 plus home runs next year um, he's never done that before. He hit 28 in 2017. Um, I think he'll be more in the middle of the order. I know in L.A. he hit towards the bottom of the order. Yeah. Um, he should probably be somewhere between three to five, you would think, in that mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Um, so I like the prospects of him next year, if you're thinking fantasy baseball early, mm, uh, this early. Sleeper and, pick. Potentially. Uh, I don't know how – I don't I don't want to get into fantasy football – or fantasy baseball uh, side discussion. But anyway, um, I think Puig has – 
pretty good prospects in Cincinnati next year. Kemp, I don't know. I'm not that excited about Matt Kemp. He's still an average hitter, but nothing that great. Hit 290, 338, 481 last year. His experience the last last the last two years have been really good first halves and pretty miserable second halves. So I guess you could use that to your advantage in fantasy baseball too. So draft him and then trade him at the deadline. Ooh. Like uh, it. two years in a row. I don't want to get into the numbers, but that that's how it's gone. Um, and then Alex Wood, I think, is a is a big get for the Reds just because they're pitching so bad. Uh-huh. Um, of course, had a phenomenal 2017 season where he was 16 and three with a 2.72 ERA. Uh, last year regressed a little bit, nine and seven with a 3.68 ERA, 3.53 FIP. Um, not a huge strikeout guy, about eight per nine innings is career average. But, um, I mean. I don't know if he's going to be like the ace on that staff now, but you think they added him and they added Tanner Rourke, plus you get Puig and Kemp in the outfield. Like their offense is already good. Yeah. Like I don't know. This I don't think this team's going to be competing for a division, but they're certainly not as bad as people would expect them to be. I don't think. Yeah, it looks like Alex Wood is slotted as their helmsman here, which is pretty interesting. But like we said before, like it's probably like the third time I've said this uh, this episode, adding like an average player to a really bad rotation is doing what, more. What is the rest of the rotation? Uh, Alex Wood, Luis Castillo, Tanner Rourke, Anthony Desclafani, and Tyler Mal- Molly. Yeah, Molly, Molly. So don't know I don't know. That doesn't sound horrible. I mean, that Molly Luis Castillo guy. could be really good. He had a down year last year, but he has a lot of promise. Anyway, I'm just not a Reds podcast. But anyway, <laughs> I like the prospects for the Reds a lot better. Um, I think this is a good move for them. I don't. I don't totally understand it from the Dodgers' perspective. I think it was just a salary dump and trying to free up space for Harper. I think that's the goal. But mm-hmm. uh, if they don't get Harper, I don't love this trade. If they get him, I think it's good. If they don't, I don't love it. Yep. I, I think I have to agree with you. I think all, all signs are pointing towards them just trying to free up space on their roster. Yep. Two more transactions and then this long podcast yeah, will officially seriously. be over. Uh, first, Angels signed Matt Harvey to a one-year $11 million contract. Man, what do you think, Mark? This is interesting. Uh, yeah, he actually didn't pitch that bad in no. Cincinnati last year. Um, of course, very notable struggles in New York. Um, in 24 games in Cincinnati last year, had a 4.5 ERA, 4.33 FIP. Um, look, here's here's my Matt Harvey thing. He's never going to be what he was mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, give up. I keep waiting for the bounce back to what he was in 2012, 13, and what, 15, and it just isn't happening. I think we can safely say three to four years removed from that. It's not going to happen. He's now 29 years old. Um, So I don't think he's going to be like some huge breakout ace for the Angels. Uh, But I don't know. The Angels need – they need to do something. He's the number one right now according to their projected starting rotation. (laughs) Oh, boy. I don't even – I hope not. Um, I know they have him and Trevor Cahill and Tyler Skaggs and Andrew Heaney. But other than that. Yeah, and someday Otani. Oh, yeah, Otani. He won't pitch next year, but yeah. Um, anyway, so I don't know. It's a stopgap fill for the uh, crappy Angels rotation. Yeah. That's my assumption. It's, it's low risk. One year, $10 million. Or sorry, $11 million. It's pretty good deal. I yeah. guess you're going to get one year of him, and hopefully maybe someday they'll put a good team around Mike Trout. I don't know. All right, moving on. Final uh, signing that we'll discuss. Charlie Morton going to the Rays on a two-year, $30 million contract. This is an interesting one, and I think this is going to be very overlooked this offseason. Charlie Morton, the last two years in 
Houston has been really good. Um, a 3.62 ERA in 2017, 3.13 ERA in 2018. Strikeout rates per nine of over 10 both years. Walk rates in the low threes per nine inning. Um, I think he's a really underrated pitcher. I know he's 35, so he's not some young gun, so there's worry about decline. Um, but he really broke out in Houston the last two years after being a really average pitcher in Pittsburgh and Atlanta and Philadelphia. So I think uh could be a big part of the Rays rotation next season. Yeah, I mean, through by far his best season last year. And part of that might have to do with pitching for a really good team, which is something he didn't really have the luxury of doing ever before his True. time in Houston. Um, I mean, not that win-loss record is relevant, but he managed to pull together 15-3. and three. It, I feel like there's something to be said for that, even though obviously the Houston offense was helping him out a lot there. Um, yeah, this guy gets the job done. I, I actually have to agree with you, Mark. I think that he's the type of player whose name value doesn't quite uh, – pack or you know he doesn't come off as the high caliber pitcher that i think he's starting to turn into so i think that the the rays again with this like low-key pickup that's probably going to end up being uh more valuable than it might look and i think so i think this is a great deal by the rays very rays-esque signing exactly yeah yeah a, a, a post hype like old guy who no one really realized had the best season of his life last year i'm surprised that two years 30 million dollars like for that production, and maybe people are scared by just the not very long track record of it, but you think, like, the Yankees, who had such a bad rotation last year, would have been, like, two years, will give you, like, $40 million Yeah, outbid, the, just watch, over, over, outbid whatever the race. His numbers are really good. Yeah. So, and and his fit backed it up, too. You know? Yeah. It, was, it's it not, wasn't some fluke. It's not. So it's, it's surprising to me that no one, no contender, not the Rays aren't a contender, I guess, but – no huge market team was like, we'll give you 20 to 25 million for two years. Like, I don't know. Oh, well, that's the nature of baseball. That's how it goes sometimes. Yep. All right. Well, you guys survived. Thanks for sticking with us. That was a lot. <laughs> it that was. was a lot of news. And, and, and it's been a while since we uploaded, but definitely wanted to get through some of that stuff. Interesting to see how the league's shaping out this year. You know, some notable changes. I think some teams that maybe we didn't expect to make big moves. I know I didn't expect the Mets to be such big making such big moves this offseason. Yeah. But we'll have to see where that lands them. And we'll, of course, be talking more about that as the offseason progresses, as things start, start to shape up even more. So we want you to stick with us through the whole thing because we'll be recording and uploading and, and letting you guys know what the latest news is. So uh, with that, my name is Ryan Vance. My name is Mark Subinger. We'll see you next time.